Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode four of uh, The Media Beat. And you know the form by now. It's a discussion between uh, two of the leading lights in media, uh, Maureen Kerr and Claire Tavernier. Uh, and we're going to be discussing some of the things that have uh, made the news in the world of media. Maureen is head of the media practice at Arthur D. Little. And Claire is a well-known analyst and commentator, but she's also worked practically for a variety of media companies, both in terms of uh, a permanent role and also as advisor. Um, we are going to uh, whiz through some of the issues of the day. So we're going to be talking about Twitter and Elon. How could we avoid that? Uh, we're also going to be talking about the issues at Netflix and what's going on with their relationship with Microsoft. We're going to look at Disney and Trade Desk and generally talk about advertising uh, and how there may be a spread uh, into other services of um, Trade Desk type uh, automated advertising. Uh, also, a fascinating uh, conversation on how AI is permeating into the talent agency business. So the management of talent, attracting and making the best of. And we're probably going to touch on TikTok as well, uh, because again, that has been making the news in terms of artists being uh, advised, if you like, to sell their wares on TikToks and there being some resistance to that. So quite a lot to get through. But as usual, I will say, hello, uh, Maureen. Hello, Claire. I hope you're both doing great. We have been too. Hi. <laughs> Good. Hello. Uh, I, it's nice to be able to see you as well, uh, which is which is always good. So let's let's kick off and dive in. So um, this Elon Musk and Twitter story, uh, it, it's uh, keeping rumbling on. Um, Maureen, could I go to you first and say, f first up, actually, for, for listeners who are, are not familiar, could you just give us a potted history of the story and where we are with that? Indeed, Oliver. So, um, uh Back uh, a few months ago, uh, Elon Musk uh, was quietly in the background buying up shares in Twitter and got himself a quite a significant sort of position, uh, had big discussions as to whether he should be uh, sitting on the board uh, and influencing the direction of Twitter. He, as we always know or do know, uh, is very outspoken uh, about Twitter, about Twitter's revenue model, but also uses Twitter to espouse all manner of things of the world of media, Tesla, and general stuff. Um, he then decided that he would put in a bid, a bid for Twitter uh, at a share price of $54 and change, uh, which is around about 40 odd billion uh, dollars. Uh, uh, he raised some funds. Uh, put some of his own money uh, towards that bid and also some of Tesla's shares. Uh, there is what's called a break up uh, um, amount of money if, if indeed he walks away from the deal, which is to the tune of a billion. Um, after a short while of, of course, because it's public and because he wanted to do the deal quickly, um, there was no diligence. Um, he used what's uh, information that's already in the public domain. Uh, now, when he put forward his bid, that made it a final and firm and legally binding bid. So after a short while, uh, he did a little bit of investigating. He looked at bots, didn't like the idea of bots, although everyone in the public domain knows about bots. Uh, he has now since uh, withdrawn his offer and said that, uh, you know, he's doing that because the company misrepresented data to him. It's gone to court it will now be in court. Um, and that's the potted history. He'd like to just walk away from the deal. The backdrop of which is uh, tech, tech stocks have decreased in value in the last three to six months. And say, for example, you know, a, a, yeah, quite a significant proportion of the value is as, as, as witted away. And so at $54 per share, uh, whereas it's sitting at 20, 20 something, it seems to be a significant premium and overvalued at this stage. That's the potted history. Sorry, it took a few more minutes, um, but that's kind of where we are. And I'm sure Claire has a view on then the now uh, and, and can take up the reins of what will happen next. But back to you, Oliver. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, it's basically what you're saying. Um, uh, billionaire makes a bid, then finds out something he doesn't like 
tells the world, and the world goes, blimey, these tech companies are over um, overvalued and the shares plummet. Is that a simple summary? I mean, it's even more worse than that because it's very hard to believe that he didn't know about that something he doesn't like before making the bid because as Maureen said, it was probably information. Uh, I think there are lots of things at play here. I think Elon is being quite disingenuous uh, and playing the market and betting on the fact that he can push it through by sheer will and also having deeper pocket than everybody else. So if he does get stuck in the courts, he will be at an advantage. I think personally that the Twitter board was not very good at the beginning of this process. They really messed up the process at the very early, in the very early stages when Musk wanted to go get on the board, didn't want to get on the board, all of this. And they seem to have taken back some form of governance and control and are now playing relatively hardball, which I think is the right thing to do because they're being bullied, essentially, by Elon Musk. So they were being bullied by Elon Musk when he made the offer and they didn't, they, 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 they kind of turned over uh, and laid there. And now they've seemed to have um, taken on a slightly a stronger role, which is interesting because it really, for me, there's a real story that that's not really being explored, I think, in the media about governance for publicly listed companies, because it was very much, this was, you know, the management of Twitter could do a certain number of things, but really this had to be driven by the board. And I think they started out quite weakly and they're getting better at it, probably getting better advisors. The interesting PR story for me in all of this is that Twitter is emerging as the nice guy which is kind of extreme because, you know, we're not seeing Twitter being banded around as the, as the good guy in, in, in a lot of media stories. But right now, the story out there is that Elon Musk is the bad guy and he's, he's trying to uh, take advantage. He's trying to screw them over. And Twitter are, are you know, are nice and, and trying to do the right thing. And I think just from that perspective, it's, it's quite an interesting media spin. Is it because there's got to be a good guy and a bad guy? But yeah, uh, it's got to be a yeah. good guy, bad guy. Otherwise, yeah. you know, what's the story? Yeah, Maureen. So um, this is going to be very significant. The uh, the court case around this, and it will set a precedent um, uh, that you know usually with mergers and acquisitions, it's well understood by both sets of advisors as to uh, the procedures, uh, timelines, and what actually means by a firm. Uh, offer versus an indicative offer, you know, subject to diligence, subject to, you know, uh, discussions either by the board or indeed by the uh, the uh, the acquirer. So uh, th this is, there are rules and rules should be abided by. Now there is, and I'm glad to see that this court case will be held in Delaware and it is a specialist mergers and acquisitions court. So they will have technical uh, you know understanding of what it really means by a breach of contract uh, and by merchant acquisitions contract and, and and i think this definition of uh, misrepresentation or not enough information this will be ruled around that topic around that issue so as claire said you know the public the public understood that they were bots you know it's a matter of degrees and already the court of delaware uh, has thrown out, uh, so to speak, or certainly opined on the fact that if indeed you're bringing this and you want to walk away from a, a firm contract just because of this information around bots, whoa, this isn't this isn't acceptable. You're wasting the court's time. Mm. So, uh, and, and and interestingly as well, um, you know, one zero to Twitter. Uh, the courts has brought the date forward, which is again unprecedented, to make it a speedy, uh, a speedy sort of court because because the business needs to get on with business as usual, and it can't do that with this looming court case in the background. As well as let's not forget, Elon is also, you know, a significant shareholder and will be access to information. So even Twitter cannot post results. Um, so that you know disadvantaged. The, uh, the, the, the the entire market and other shareholders. So it is problematic. So so I think the court's done well to bring this forward. And as I say, it will set a precedent. And a precedent that says, just because we fancy walking away from a deal, you know, we can. No, you can't. Mm. There are laws. And not even the richest man in the world, you know, is above the law. 
And this will be a question of who is above the law. Because as soon as we see, you know, Elon, you know, winning the case, now let's see the data that he puts forward to justify his case. But as soon as we see, you know, um, very loose and very vague or very woolly reasons for walking away from a deal, which is all about fickleness, uh, that will ripple through uh, the uh, the markets and people will just willy-nilly start bidding for public listed companies. And that will actually be, I think, a, a, a really a, a bad day for uh, the investor community. Truly a bad day. From what you say, it's hard to see him win. I mean, it, 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 from what I've heard, it's like I, I've made a bid, I sign a contract and contract uh, <laughs> to me as a layman seems a legally binding thing. I found something else out on the public domain I don't like the look of, I want to walk away. And like you say, bad, bad news for investors because it would allow people to make all sorts of um, offers that they can withdraw. Yeah, I think you use the word willy-nilly. He can't win on the, on the facts, I think. He's hoping to win by by uh, just dragging it on as long as he can and getting to the point where Twitter has no choice but to accept a lower offer. That's his strategy. He knows he can't win, but he that's why he went to the court and said, I need until April, which was uh, a way to prevent Twitter from doing anything until April. And if, if the court had, in fact, said, yes, okay, for April, he would have been in a really difficult situation because Twitter would have been in a really difficult situation. How, how do you keep going until April without having any way of publishing results or making any strategic decisions, etc.? Uh, so the court rejected that proposal and told them, uh, and told Elon and Twitter that it would have to be settled by October, which is just a few weeks after what Twitter wanted. So that's a win for Twitter. But had Elon won that, that would it may have been that Twitter would have had no choice but to negotiate, to remove themselves from the courts and say, you know what, we can't, this is too damaging to the business, we will need to find a solution. I think that's what he's betting on. He knows he has no case, he doesn't care. He's just delaying the thing on and on and on. Well, this is a story that they say will run and run, uh, and the media beat will be keeping an eye on it, no doubt. Exactly, and also um, um, I, would, I would recommend to all of our listeners that uh, that uh, you know, Scott Galloway called this right, right, right from the outset, right from the outset, he was saying, and I followed, you know, on on a, on a twice weekly basis, uh, both his uh, uh, pivot um, podcast and also the uh, Prof G. Uh, he was given live commentary on. He did not believe this was a true bid. He did not believe that you know Elon would follow through, and was 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 saying, you know. You are in dangerous, you know, waters here, Elon. Uh, now, strangely, uh, Elon has actually blocked uh, Prof G Scott Galloway from his, from his own Twitter account, and he didn't realize he didn't realize he was blocked until he just went to jump in to see whether or not there's any information about uh, this topic, and it said Scott Galloway, you are blocked, uh, which was which is entertaining, um, but, a bit but childish. Very, well, well, well. Well, <laughs> so um, uh, Scott Galloway, though, was along the way was talking about it from a technical perspective, from a legal perspective, as well as from from his own intuition and what he knows. He said this is just fun for him. And so when Elon, when Elon also also went to and had a uh, had a had a Teams call with all of the Twitter staff, even the nature of of that and the commentary and the questions and the discussion points seemed to him. And, and I listened in as well. You know, vague, it, it didn't look full committal, you know. And 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 he was saying this is all in preparation for a Delaware moment, which is basically he knew he would be going to court. Um, so yeah, this is this is a fascinating story. This is a fascinating story to follow. And we will stick with it all night if we have to, as they say in the press. But it'll be a little bit longer than all night. And um, we better move on, I, I guess. I mean, that is a that is a fascinating one. Maybe it's, is it our headline story? Not really. I think there's um, interest in all the stuff we're talking about today. We're moving on to uh, Netflix now. We've spoken about Netflix before, uh, their meteoric rise and their slight stumble at the moment. And there's now something going on with regard this uh, deal with Mike. Microsoft, uh, and it's all mixed in with the is advertising coming to Netflix. Um, Claire, could you um, probably just take us through the latest on that? 
Yes, well, Netflix has, uh, as you say, stumbled a little bit, although I think they've, they've managed this time. They've just published results that show that they've lost almost a million subscribers, but somehow this is good news, which again goes to, goes to uh, show that they need to manage bad news because everybody was expecting worse. So good for them. But they have now said officially that they would move, they would create a free advertiser-funded tier for the for the people who don't want to pay a monthly subscription so you can keep your monthly subscription which will probably rise in price and not see ads or you can get netflix for free but then you'll see ads and that's something that they had been very very much against for ever since they were launched they always said they wouldn't do ads uh, and they've they've changed their minds and to be honest i think they, they're right they absolutely are right to change their minds it's, it's absolutely fine to change your mind in business when you know you're proven by the market that something has changed so but that it's that's not um as easy as it sounds and we've talked about this a little bit suddenly turning on ads especially on a streaming platform when they're when there isn't really a good system to do this is hard. And so it was always expected that they would partner with someone to do it. The question was with whom? And there are only a few partners out there who can do this. Uh, the two obvious ones are Google and Facebook. They are the two that have large scale advertising systems to do in video ads, but they're also two large rivals of Netflix in terms of time and attention, etc. And so Netflix just announced a slightly left field partnership with Microsoft. Microsoft does have advertising um, revenues, uh, online advertising revenues. They're not as big, they're by far smaller than both Facebook and Google. Uh, it's certainly something they're trying to increase and they, uh, this would give them a huge basis on which to increase it. It's a um, it's an easier partnership for Netflix because the overlap between the two businesses is, is much smaller. Uh, and it was, it was an interesting announcement. In parallel, Disney Plus, Disney has just announced that they are making a advertising deal with the Trade Desk, which is another uh, small, smaller independent advertiser stream, uh, streaming advertising platform. It's not very clear what that deal is. We don't really know what countries and we don't really know what sort of scale it is. But it's also interesting that they've also decided not to go with the big partnership with one of the majors. So Just for uh, my education, a, a, um, a, a, a platform like Trade Desk, is that the thing that controls which advertising content goes to which user or group of users and when? And it controls whether it's an advert you can skip through or whether you've got to listen to the end of it or whether it comes in the middle of your video. Is that what um, Trade Desk does? It, it's go ahead. Sorry, sorry, Claire. Uh, it's an exchange. So, so it's a platform for programmatic um, advertising. So it has expertise as to, you know, works with the agencies as well as brands to place uh, advertising on any inventory as well as, you know, in video. Uh, so it can, uh, but it's all programmatic. So the reason I think that the Trade Desk uh, is now the choice. Uh, for Disney Plus is because they have specifically said that 50% of the inventory will be programmatic, which is a significant number, uh, rather than traditional uh, non-programmatic, um, which means it's driven by algorithms. Um, so you still... It means, it means that it's specifically targeted, it's targeted to whoever is watching the show. So not everybody sees the same ads. That's what Right. Yes. And it, it's done through computer logic, in other words. If you're part of this demographic and you're watching this show, you'll probably be interested in this product. Yes. Which is why I, I see lots of hair loss products when I'm watching yes. Sky I, TV. I move from pregnancy tests to menopause products. <laughs> Very brutal <laughs> shit. I wasn't ready for it, let me tell you that. You, but you yes, certainly aren't. It was, it was, it was a bit shit. But yes, it's not great, as we know, because you are seeing a lot of hair loss products and I'm seeing a lot of... Yeah, it's not It's not entirely... It's getting better, but it's not as good as, as, uh, as it should be. Really. It feels like a blunt instrument, let me put it that way, Claire. Well, I mean, it, it works, for instance, Facebook through Instagram is really good at it. So you'll probably, I mean, I don't know if either of you has ever bought something that they've seen on Facebook or Instagram. Maureen has, I have. I they have. Tend to, yeah. They tend to be actually quite well targeted. Yeah. Facebook yeah. is very good at it, but YouTube not so much. Uh, but they tend to, they tend to be very... Um, transactional so they tend to be for products and they tend to you know that that's how that's the business model and you were asking uh, oliver what whether it's a skippable ad or not all of the 
platforms offer pretty much all of the formats. So it becomes a decision from whoever is showing the content to decide whether they want to have skippable ads, whether they want one ad, two ads, whether they, how many interruptions they want during their program, etc. Those are all customizable by whoever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Added to this, added to this, which Claire, I think, I think the two of us will probably monitor this. Um, is is what is this going to do uh, around pricing and CPMs, um, and can they can they contain can they can they maintain you know a thirty five dollar you know CPM or is this you know what is what is going to happen to pricing um, given the new inventory that's coming in, so the new uh, supply coming into the market? That's what I'm intrigued about. And, and most advertisers who use programmatic advertising are, are used to much lower CPMs. You know, it's not premium ads, it's not TV, it's a sort of lower CPM. Sometimes there is a CPM plus CPC, so, you know, you pay to be shown and then you will pay extra if somebody clicks through, which is why I always go off and buy it on another tab where, rather than clicking through, but just, just, just to spite them, which is really good. But yes, so the... This is lower value ads, uh, the quite, but, it, but it is because it's never really been put against very high premium content. So it'll be interesting to see what it does once it's, once it's uh, against high premium content. I don't know, for instance, what sort of CPM Hulu gets. Uh, Disney will know this, obviously, because they mm-hmm. co-run Hulu. Um, but that would be an interesting point of comparison. What I love about all this as a nerd is it all comes down to data in the end and the more data that people are collecting against uh, 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 about people and the way they watch things. And even, of course, if you skip an ad, it tells you something, (laughs) you know, it tells you you don't want that ad. So it tells you it's badly positioned ad or you're impatient or you want different types of ads. But it's funny, isn't it? Yeah. When you look back and think, where have I bought things from? I have scrolled through Facebook and gone, my God, that gadget looks amazing. No, I mustn't. Oh, God, I'm going. I want it because it's actually relatively cheap. Uh, but it, it's all about data. Actually, that, that's quite a smooth segue, uh, and we can come back to Netflix and Disney and advertising, but it is quite a good segue into the, the talent agency piece that we were going to talk about as well, in that um, the management of talent, you would, you'd have thought, is something that is not necessarily susceptible to uh, data analytics. Uh, but then you think of Moneyball, and um, I, think it was, I think it was you, Claire, that mentioned Moneyball when we were preparing, and uh, it's almost exactly analogous so it's you've got a load of talent uh with um very uh very specific qualities but then also very um subtle qualities uh, when it comes to sports people uh, which I, I know a little bit more about than i do talent but that's also the kind of thing you've got these kind of ethereal qualities you have in actors actresses uh, and stars uh, and um what you've been talking about and i find this absolutely amazing is this is this movement uh, in the talent management, and that's, I guess, attracting talent and also finding work for talent, and the use of data and AI in order to support that. Um, it's something that actually, uh, I know within Arthur D. Little, actually, Maureen, we're working on a, a live project on this, which, of course, we can't talk about necessarily. But nevertheless, it's a fascinating, um, it's a fascinating uh, subject area. Maureen, probably if you, if you kick off and if you give us just sort of a, a, a sort of potted background of the use cases, if you like, um, how talent management as a as a business is hoping to make use of advanced data analytics and AI. Yeah, Oliver, um, but, but please let us go back to Netflix because I, I, I have another comment that I'd love Claire to opine on as well. So please remind me about that. Um, but uh, so um, it's a non-linear uh, podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's more uh, actually let's let's seize the moment and then I go on to talent, uh, Oliver. Sorry. So because I, I'd, I'd love I'd love Claire's view on this. So, 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 so clearly the results of Netflix has, has come out and they always said that, you know, they were setting the market's expectations of a 2 million uh, mark for, for churn. Uh, and, and, and as Claire mentioned, it's sort of, you know, sub uh, or just, just shy of, of, of a million. Um, but, 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 but let's, let's, let's wind back a bit. You know, I think the fact that they've always been, um, or Netflix has always sort of avoided advertising was because their customer base didn't want advertising. And so I'm wondering how are they going to how are they going to present the message to their loyal subscriber base, which is there because of the user immersive uh, experience of Netflix? How are they going to convince them not to churn? 
you know, ha, ha, what is that messaging? Um, you know, how are they going to retain that? Because I'm, 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 I'm intrigued about about this messaging because I, I know just as just as anecdotally, a few people have said, "Whoa, I'm switching off." Then you know, I don't want any advertising. The fact that I'm I'm with Netflix is because I don't have to tolerate I don't have to tolerate ads. Uh, so. You know, be interesting you, still, you won't you won't have to tolerate ads it's very they've been very clear or at least not in the first in the first iteration we'll have to see how it goes but they've been very clear that their ad product is for people who don't pay a subscribe a subscription fee or who pay a reduced subscription fee so if you are paying the normal subscription fee from netflix you will not see ads you know they are remaining an ads free paid for service with a Spotify. It's the Spotify model. It's their all all four model, etc. So you won't see ads. the the main The main problem they will have, which is another reason, an untold reason why they didn't want necessarily to have ads. If you are selling ads, you're going to have to tell people how many people watch your stuff. Uh, you're going to have to show audience numbers because nobody will buy ads unless they know exactly how many how many people they're targeting. And and Netflix has steadfastly refused to disclose any audience number, uh, or when they do, it's quite opaque what they're really telling us in terms of you know how long did people watch, how many episodes. You know they are very careful with the way they manage that. Now that's that's gone. As the moment you put ads on, you're going to have to disclose your audience numbers, and I think that is a bigger hurt. That was the hurdle they were very keen to avoid because it will remove a lot of their what they've had so far, which is complete freedom in terms of the content they put in and why and you know what was and you know just all of the scrutiny that that broadcasters get in terms of what works and what doesn't and who's watching, etc. They never had that because they never had to show any audience numbers. The moment they will, they go uh, ad supported, that, that's gone. So I think that is actually a bigger concern for them. I think the churn, as long as they're clear in the, and they have been relatively clear in the messaging, that it, it you know, this is an additional, an additional tier rather than a replacement tier. I think they'll be okay with that. Perfect. Thank you, Claire. Um, right. Agency. The agency world. Right. A potted history. So uh, traditionally, the agency world is uh, a cottage industry. Um, over the last sort of, you know, 50 years, it's 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 really strong. In the UK, that is. In the UK, it's very much a personal relationship with, with your talent, with your actors. And that relationship is actually probably one of mentor, mentee even. And you follow the curve life cycle of your piece of talent, so of your actors. Um, and that's changed over the last 10 years where we've seen um, consolidation, we've seen maybe retirement, you know, of, uh, of, of, of talent agents. My aunt in particular is one of those, and she, she retired about five, about five years ago. So, um, so, so we've seen the likes of WM&U, we've seen uh, Avalon, we've seen a number of these major players in the UK acquiring a lot of significantly small, let's say, uh, and Curtis Brown, sorry, I should say too. Uh, we've seen a lot of uh, acquisitions, so bringing in uh, the portfolio of talent. Um, and in some of these, we've also seen, um, uh, you know, pretty strong defense against what we call the Americans, the American big uh, talent agencies that love our British creative industry. And over the years, they've been able to, the UK industry has been able to fend off the likes of Creative Artist Agency, as we know, CAA and WME as well. Um, uh, but slowly and gradually, uh, the industry has been open to um, and, and given also the nature of sort of a younger generation that's involved in social media and across different platforms, uh, that is not necessarily looking for this mentor-mentee relationship uh, and also wants to go across to the US and go across internationally uh, that needs firm, you know, international representation out of the UK. Um, we have seen the likes of CAA, WME, you know, put their, put their posts in the UK market. So... As the industry has consolidated, as the larger players are getting, um, you know, gobbling up, let's say, all of these smaller players, we're seeing a, that in this point, in this digital environment, in this new world, uh, that that it isn't necessarily about intuition as to 
which actor or the casting directors, which actor is suitable for this piece of piece of content just by sheer nature of being in the industry. So it's not just a reliant on a Tom Cruise will always attract financing packaging and will also attract audience in audiences in the cinema. As we know, you know, there's been a lot of films that have landed in streaming, um, you know, and doesn't even touch uh, streaming platforms. It doesn't even touch, you know, the cinemas or the, uh, the, the theatres. So as a potted history, we are now at a different point in time with talent representation and talent, talent representation is also uh, being taken away from some agencies where the likes of Will Smith dictates his own terms and wants to run his own uh, shop, so to speak. So, so we're seeing now um, a new wave of activity. And lo and behold, you know, uh, we've seen UTA in the US acquire MediaHound, which is a de- pure data and analytics and insights company. Phenomenal, you know. Uh, UTA as well has got its own uh, direct consumer platforms. We've seen, you know, Amazon acquire IMDb, and IMDb is also being used regularly as a as a referral and recommendations engine for 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 cinema goers and film watchers. So it's a really fascinating place now that we see, you know, the film industry or the or the, the content industry finally saying, actually, which is the moneyball moment actually, we probably should look at statistics. We probably should look back at, you know, historically what has made a film a hit and what has made a TV programme, you know, have this longevity across seven or eight, nine seasons. So uh, we've always been fighting against that in the content industry to say, no, it's gut feel, no, it's mm-hmm. intuition, you know. But actually now is the day for the data. This is this is the talent agency's moneyball moment, Um one reckons. So that's a potted history and setting a scene for where we think we find ourselves here in the talent uh, in the talent world. That was absolutely magnificent. That really was. It just absolutely uh, made it clear to me. And something I'd never thought about before. I watched Toast of London, that parody of actors, uh, and the agent is um, <laughs> probably how I'd imagine your aunt, Maury, <laughs> without being too... <laughs> A sort of a, a lovely, quite eccentric, uh, slight lady of a certain age, perhaps, who uh, treats toast with a bit of contempt. But uh, it's all about connections and who you have lunch with. And I think marvellous that we're actually talking about, about data now being a driver. Uh, Claire, could you um, describe a couple of what we'd say in the business, uh, the business I'm in, use cases? In other words, uh, describe what kind of data could be used by a talent agency to answer a question it wants answering other than oh uh, this is a th- th- this person wrote a great sitcom in the uk before therefore their next sitcom will be brilliant what kind of more sophisticated questions do you think the data can answer for for talent management um so first of all to add to maureen's brilliant boxing history in the us talent agencies have always been major players so it's always been a very very consolidated industry with wmeca uta you know, managing all the big name, name talents. Yes, Will Smith will go out and do his own production companies, but he might just do this as a joint venture with his agency because it's just easier and they'll provide all the support. They've had, they've played an enormous role and they are now investing in data for actively for, I think, three main reasons. The first one is the one that Maureen mentioned, which is to support the development of their clients' careers in the content industry. And weirdly and interestingly, this this may actually be supporting diversity in casting, for instance, because, you know, some of the casting agents might say, well, this person doesn't have the broad fan base or doesn't attract, you know, suburban and that might be very stereotypical thinking uh, and data will say that is not true you know actually look at the data we know that that person that that actor is incredibly popular with white suburban moms in connecticut and we can prove it uh, and so what you're saying is not true and so that 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 it doesn't always have to be that but it it certainly helps agents support the case of their clients when it comes to their appeal to a specific demographic, to specific geography, uh, because remember, all of these projects are global now, et cetera, et cetera. The second reason they are investing in data is, is uh, even more commercial and is to think about how to uh, get their clients' endorsements, you know, 
on my client is very popular with Ford owners. You should, you know, Ford, look, here's the data. Everybody who owns a Ford in America loves this guy. So why don't we put him on the, on the you know, on the wheel of your next car? Because that's going to be, that's going to be a huge selling point for you. Or we know this, you know, they, they can measure both the, 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 the connection with the brand before, but also they're able to do really targeted uh, post-mortems. So maybe this, uh, this piece of talent doesn't deal with for dog food because they think there's connection with dogs and then they do the analysis afterwards it turns out nobody cares that she has dogs and so they can say to her you know what stop dogs dogs don't work for you I mean, I'm giving those examples they're so specific but there's it, it really will help them get the most value out of these deals for their clients and that's what they're spending uh, their time and effort in and then the third bit which is what maureen it was maureen who coined the term moneyball moment is the discovery you know it's going out there looking at uh social media platforms looking at youtube and trying to figure out who the next big star is i actually think that's a smaller part of the business right now but it's but it may become bigger uh, it's it's already it's big. For instance, in music, it's slightly less big in in acting. It's big in music, and it's probably big in stand up as well. So there's definitely an a- areas where it's it's more active. I think for acting talent, it's still not as developed, and in a way, it's normal because it's harder to showcase your acting talent on social media as you would with you know music or or a comedy. But yes, those are some of the, the use cases. Uh, That's great. For, that was really clear as well. A fantastic definition from Maureen. Superb use cases from uh, from Claire. It sounds to me like what we call in our business when we're delivering AI, augmented decision making. In other words, the AI is not going to tell you how to do your job. The AI is going to provide you with interesting snippets of data to back up your hypotheses. So you come up with the imaginative hypotheses about putting a particular person in a car to advertise it or pushing a particular sitcom to a demographic and the data will help you prove or disprove that hypothesis. And that takes away the fear, if you like, of AI from people because some, some people think, oh my God, a robot is going to be a talent agent. Well, it's ridiculous. That's not going to happen. But the things you can do with data now are quite shocking due to the volume of data, its easy access and the incredible computing power that we now have available on the cloud um funnily enough usually delivered by companies like amazon rather ironically so there's a nice circularity to that um that's fascinating it truly a moneyball moment sorry for um um taking that uh, definition from you uh, maureen and giving it to claire uh, uh to me you, you you are almost interchangeable in the in the creativity that you uh, give to this podcast is that anything um anything else that has been specifically happening in the talent agency world um, to back up the theory that data is the new king in that domain as well? Or shall we move on? So the next one is uh, TikTok. So um, we've been talking about uh, TikTok and its ubiquity, uh, but there was an interesting little snippet that um, you were talking about when we were preparing for this, about um, how uh, uh, creators particularly I think you were talking about music artists, are being um, encouraged, shall we say, by their um, labels to have a presence on TikTok. And it sort of reminds me of the sort of 21st century equivalent of someone who's got a new album out and they've got to do all these press junkets, which they all these cool musicians hate doing. It seems to be like the, 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 the new social media equivalent of that. And there is some reticence, as you might imagine, uh, maybe from musicians who um, really want to concentrate on the music man rather than doing these ridiculous TikToks. And it almost might seem, even though some musicians are fairly youthful, it might seem something that's a bit sort of trivialises their business. I don't know. I don't know. So it's an interesting phenomenon that, A, uh, now what it takes to get your message out there, that you've got a new album out. Uh, and I guess albums might not exist in the very near future because what's the point the album was only created so that it fitted on a particular size of uh, vinyl really Uh, that was the constraint it was a physical one Uh, and the interesting phenomenon of artists saying I don't really want to do this and resisting um, what they're being told to do by the record companies Um, Claire I think possibly this was something um, you brought up or maybe maybe not knowing my inability to remember who said what no i did and i it all uh, I, I looked it up and it's 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 interesting because it's it's uh, mostly if not uniquely female 
musicians, female artists that are asked to create viral moments on TikTok. And it was all sort of, it all came to light when Halsey, who, uh, I'm not sure I pronounced this right, but who is- Halsey, a, I think, yeah. Yeah. He, he born, says trying to sound cool and relevant. Uh, and she said, basically, my label won't let me release my new record until I get a viral moment on TikTok. And that's really horrible and boring. And I hate it. And I don't want to be creating viral moments on TikTok. I just want to release music. Uh, and she's not she's not the only that this is the, this is then opened up the, the the door to a lot of other female artists saying, yes, same for me. I'm stuck on this. You know, I've had to release like three videos, four videos a day. I this isn't interesting to me. Some of them have actually posted videos saying, this is my video that I'm forced to push to push every day. So hi, everybody being very sort of creating a fairly negative impact. So there's a bit of a there's definitely a hard pushback from artists, but it's been it's uh, it's also a recognition by labels. Unfortunately for artists, I should say that uh, that TikTok and Instagram and that there's been some research on this have become the main discovery platform for 16 to 24 by by far uh, and so that and you know that means that that's where they find the new music that's where they find the news as well slightly scarily uh, and that's where they find that's that it is their search engine and therefore for a label if you want to release a new song that's where you need to get to in order to uh, uh, drum up interest it feels like um, there's a really large rather nasty cynical slab of sexism as well if it's affecting female musicians, um, just looking up Halsey, she is uh, very photogenic. You know, she you can you can tell she she'd make a, a she's a, a good looking, beautiful woman as well as a musician. And um, there's a, this, this horrible, very old fashioned sexism that's like some record executive who says, you know, get yourself out there uh, uh, so that people who flick by you and like the look of you, if you like, might investigate your music. That's pretty nasty and cynical and old fashioned and ugh. Really? Well, I was surprised. And on a pos and on a positive note, on a positive note. So, what I like about uh, this investigation uh, of TikTok, uh, Claire, that you you've been looking at this week, um, is the TikTok being the, the new Google. And one of the uh, one of the um, TikTokers said, you know, TikTok is my Google, and I was fascinated by that. Absolutely fascinated by that. And terrified, but it was YouTube, wasn't it? Not so long ago that uh, YouTube, over, I think, overtook or got very close to Google in in terms of searching. Well, it still is, I think, or you know, was for a long time the second biggest search engine. YouTube, although maybe TikTok is has jumped, has leapfrogged that. But I suppose that's the that that's that's an, another interesting phenomenon is that people only really want to go to the minimum amount of places that they need to to do their yeah. stuff. You know, to get their entertainment, to get their clips, to get their search engines, which is why young people do not email. It's incredibly frustrating. I kept saying to my kids all the time, did you get the email? Uh, email? What, uh, no. Uh, <laughs> yes, you did. Look on your email. Uh, Oliver, you'll be fascinated by this. And again, this is a, a, an article uh, that, that, that Claire had forwarded to me. Uh, and, and one of the uh, TikTokers said, look, you know, and she's like 24, we're visual learners. We want to see things in video. We learn much more from video. So you're moving away from, from the written word, you know, mm. from reading. It's they mm. want a video. They experience more in a video. So you're got, you, you've got to send them either audio or you've got to send them a video of that uh, email. They don't read emails. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's it, true. Yeah. And, the, and, and it also, I mean, it's true. It's absolutely true that it's, it's audio and video and, and um, I mean, but 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 asynchronous audio. So like giving having young people giving you not that we are this old farts anymore. But you know they just they won't call you, but they will send you a lengthy audio message. Uh, the the other thing that impacts this sort of narrowing of sources is this phenomenon that's quite well known that people the, on people are using mobile phones more and more, and people generally use only I think there is a number out there five apps. On their screen yeah they, they, they can't get over that number because that's not how our brain works on a computer you may have as we all do a thousand tabs open on google but on your phone you you are you have your go-to apps and you will not deviate from them and if if TikTok at some point takes over from google as the app you go to for search 
moving that is going to be very, very difficult. Yeah. And as we know, as we know, um, Uber has already uh, uh, put out into the market that they want to become America's or internationally the super app. Of course, it doesn't exist at the moment, whereas in China, uh, we have uh, uh, WeChat that basically runs one's life, you know, in, in Asia. So you, you do your banking, you do your communicating, you do your video watching, you do everything else, you know. Uh, and, and Uber has proclaimed that they will be the super app and they are on, on, on well, basically looking to try and deliver that. Isn't that what Meta was supposed to be? Or is that something different? I think that's something different, yeah. It is, but they are in a distributed way, which is they're doing it by stealth, because actually they are the super app, because you can do payment through Messenger and you've, it's this, but mess, between Messenger, Instagram, uh, WhatsApp and Facebook, they, they tick all the boxes. They've just not called them the same thing and they're pretending to be different companies or, you know. And, and I think there's, had some controversy, there's been some controversy, I think, if I'm right, I've had to double check this and it will be a big caveat, a big disclaimer. They've had some problems with payments as well. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. And what was the other thing we were talking about, Elf Bar? You were talking about Elf Bar the other day uh, and the e-cigarettes on, t on, on TikTok. Yes, the e-cigarettes. Um, the, 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 the problem with unregulated advertising on TikTok and, and Elf Bar being, a, I think, a Chinese disposable e-cigarette company uh, advertising to children on TikTok. Yeah. They have come out and said that they uh, do not um, pay f influencers on TikTok. They have actually put that out in the news to say that they have not, but they will investigate it. But yeah, they were uh, they were being pulled up um, for advertising on billboards and other means of advertising to show what looked like you know underage smoking. It's funny, isn't it? When you think about a billboard, a billboard is something that everybody walks past, <laughs> so you can't really a little bit like a platform. Uh, it's ironic that the billboard, the oldest form of advertising, pretty much uh, has the same problems as. The latest forms of advertising, which is you very difficult to um, control who sees what. And their comeback, and their comeback from this criticism, uh, that they being the Elf Bar company, was that uh, in order for uh, that particular piece of media to go on the billboard, a digital billboard, uh, they have passed a test from the Independent Advertising uh, Society or Commission. So, um, so they got they got approval for it in the first instance. So that will need to be looked at quite carefully. It's a little bit like the uh, excuse that Twitter might use and say, look, if I build a wall in a public park and people spray Nazi slogans on it, that's not my fault. It's the person who sprays the slogan, not me who built the wall, which is uh, slightly, um, um, <laughs> a slightly dodgy argument when you're controlling what's on the wall. Um, we are running out of time. So what do we do when we run out of time? We do long short. Is it long short or short long? I think I swap interchangeably. It's anyway, it's one of the two. I don't think it matters really. Anyway, one is long and one is short. Um, we've got a few of these uh, to go through. So let's start. Uh, one is who we've had before. I think maybe a couple we've had before. But Cheryl Sandberg. Uh, Maureen. Long. Oh. And Claire. Short. Oh, interesting. We don't often have a disagreement. Um, yeah. Do we need to dive into that or... I don't know, I worry, we'll see. It's we'll just see. a hunch that there are things that are going to come out of her. It is, there's a few uh, shadowy area there that may or may not come in. I don't know, but that's my feeling. Anyway. What we're going to do is at the end of the season, a Christmas special, we're going to go all the way through about the shorts and longs and see who wins. And then the winner gets um, glory. Uh, the media beat, <laughs> short, short, long champion of uh, 2022. Um, Elon Musk. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, Claire, sorry. <laughs> Claire I'm going first. to go with short on this one. He may, I, I'm kind of hoping that like other um, people in the news recently, I'm not going to get political, he may have run out of luck. I'm kind of, kind of hoping he has, to be honest, but I might be wrong. Maureen? Uh, long. Yeah, he seems to like he's going to be a character that's going to be around a long time. It's like once you've made $30 billion, you tend to stick around. Um, well, well, there are a few I can cite that have not, you know. Uh, I suppose, yeah, maybe that's true. Um, Robert, Robert Maxwell. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, he had a, a number of others. A number of others, but um, 
uh, time time gone by, but some things do catch up. So I, I'm sort of with Claire in terms of I wonder if you know the road has you know run out for him, but uh, I, I don't know. He might. Uh, he's still got Tesla, and there's still a, a good business. Yeah, yeah he's great news. Uh, Twitter, and we'll go, Maureen. Sure. Oh goodness me, uh, Claire. I'm actually going long on Twitter. I think they have. Uh, uh, I was I was short on them a few months ago, and I think they've they've proven their metal or something recently. Uh, they, you know, I'm I'm buying into the story that makes them the good guys. There you go. <laughs> For now, what For about now. Netflix? Uh, staying with you, Claire, on Netflix. Long. Uh, and Maureen. Um, sh- short because Lord. I think they're an acquisition target. Oh, wow. Fair yeah, so we're disagreeing on everything today. That's excellent. This is, no, it's great. This makes for an excellent podcast. Uh, it's a little bit like when two boxers get in the ring uh, and they both love each other. It's not so great. But when they <laughs> trash talk each other, it's absolutely awesome. Uh, Microsoft, I'm, I'm, I think I know the answer to this. Long. Long. They do yeah. keep on reinventing themselves like IBM. I, IBM I were think, dead. You know, yeah. who would have thought 10 years ago that, that yeah. Microsoft would be where they are now? I think they've uh, had a good, uh, a good decade. And their share price, their share price as well is really holding up. I was I was being a nerd uh, this morning and yesterday by look, monitoring all the share prices, um, and they're they're holding firm. Yeah, because uh, you know Zoom was the uh, the the, the um, poster child of teleconferencing during the years of COVID, and now we're all teamsing. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, TikTok. Long, long, I mean, midterm long at least. Yeah. I'm amazed it's stuck around. It's so tedious. But then if you actually get on it, it can be a little bit addictive. And Oh, e-cigarettes. Short or long, Claire? Short. I hate those. I wish it was short. Short. <laughs> Just people seem to want to have something to do with their hands and put it in their, and put it in their lungs. And they think it's safe. Um, but anyway, I'm not part of the competition. I am merely an observer and a facilitator and uh, happy to remain so. Can't bear being an expert and it stood me in very, very good stead because I can't be proved wrong. Um, thank you so much. A great episode, that one. We got through loads and loads of stuff uh, and all of it really, really interesting. Thank you so much. Um, and I look forward to the next one. Um, which we will put together as soon as we can. Thank you so much and uh, speak to you very soon. Thank you, Oliver. Thank you, Oliver.